Hey there, welcome to another episode of MT Talks. You just listened to the music of Atlanta's own Zach Falls, song titled Dogs, off of his latest album, Cologne. Please check him out at www.zachfalls.com. I want to thank everyone for all of the positive feedback from my first episode, Nehi. I hope it gave you thought that led to some action in sharing with others. Your interest in voluntary participation will only bring about hope and change if you truly share it with others. So like Zach says, Together to the top, then we get down. Let's go. The title of this episode will be Relentless, as in being steady, constant, unstoppable, unremitting. To me, that will focus on two areas. One, the relentless pursuit in learning all about history for all of us. Two, as the relentless drive of African Americans throughout history to present day. Align the two as you think through this episode. I had the opportunity to teach African-American history at the Marietta Museum of History. One of the first courses that I taught was on the transatlantic slave trade, or the Middle Passage. I've read many informative books on the topic, such as The Middle Passage by Charles Johnson, The Slave Ship by Marcus Redeker, The Amistad Rebellion, also by Marcus Redeker, and many others. But it was the one book that gave me another perspective in a positive light and tells the relentless story of African people despite the horrors inflicted upon them as they were enslaved. The title of the book is The Coming by Dr. Daniel Black, who teaches at Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. I had the pleasure and honor of meeting Dr. Black and the opportunity to hear him read the opening chapter. There is no way I could explain or duplicate the passion in his reading. I opened up my class reading the same passages and want to share this with you in telling the story of a relentless people. It was the coming that was bad by Sonia Sanchez. We didn't know we wouldn't return. We simply believed some terrible calamity had befallen us, that our gods had let tragedy come because we had not honored them. But we were wrong. We were warriors and hunters, poets and jolly, farmers and soothsayers. We were magicians and healers, artisans and thinkers, writers and dancers. We were fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, cousins and kinsmen. We were lovers, and we were home. We loved the land, and it loved us. We were black like the land, and kissed by the sun. We knew our strengths and our frailties, and we knew much-needed improvement. But we were home. We were the Fawn, the Yibu, the Hossa, the Ashanti, the Mandika, the Yu, the Tif, and the Ga. We were the Fante, the Fulani, the Ija, the Mende, the Wolof, the Yoruba, the Bokongo, and the Mabundo. We were the Sereri the Akan, the Bambara, and the Basa. We were proud. We knew our ancestors by name. Our names told us who we were. They told us why we had been sent. What was expected of us? We were not confused. We were not ashamed. We were not perfect, but we were excellent. And we were content. Our lives had meaning. Some had completed our initiations. Some were beginning our initiations. 
Through this process, we became students of the universe. We learned the healing herbs of the forest. We learned the activity of the ants on the hill. We learned the difference between the sky and the heavens. We learned the difference between the brain and the mind. We were schooled. We were scolded. We were honored. We were praised. We were reprimanded. But we were home. Among us lived every spirit conceivable. Men who loved women, women who loved men, women who loved women, and men who loved men. These were not choices, but life assignments. Everyone had one. There were people who could read the signs of the heavens, people who lived both here and beyond, people who could hear the voice of God, people who understood the makings of the universe, people that interpreted the song of the wind, people who never bore children but raised everyone, people who wept when others wept, people who inspired by words alone, people who told stories and never became redundant, people who walked the forest at night without fear, people who healed the with their hands, people who brought forth fruit from the land, people who carved masks with perfect precision, people whose joy helping other people, people who stood guard over our spirits. There were other people too, people who talked too much, people who loved lies more than truth, people who tampered with evil, people who wouldn't work, people who were consumed with jealousy, manipulation, deceit, and scorn. People who held grudges for far too long. People who sowed discord in the community. People who tore families apart with dissension. People with poor discretion. People with malnourished mind. And so on. We were wonderful, but we were not flawless. We knew excellence because we knew failure. We were human beings. We'd built kingdoms that lived in legend. Luanda, Kisi, Timni, and Dahami. All boasted kings, governors, and organizational documents that told the world how to administrate large numbers of people. Oyo stood as the military capital of the world. It trained soldiers with such precision that most enemies surrendered to avoid being decimated. Gola, Congo, Lunda inspired neighbors with artistic displays of dance, poetry, and kente weaving, unequaled anywhere in the region. The nations of Fula, Mandi, Susu, and Vili built wealth by trading fish from nearby rivers and lakes. Some kingdoms, however, gained power at the hands of the poor. Those of non-royal birth often found themselves in the service of royalty. Fada Yalan thrives precisely because the majority of its citizens surrendered their goods to the ruling regime. This was not rare. We were not pleased. Still, we were home. We were people who loved balance. The most attractive girl among us was neither fat nor thin. We admired a mid-sized frame, carried by one of enormous confidence. Too much flesh meant one was prone to laziness. Too little meant one's family could not provide. We shunned extremities. We welcomed the rain just as we celebrated the sun. We beckoned the night as we summoned the dawn. We slept as much as we worked. We laughed as much as we wept. We birthed as often as we buried. This was life, everything in its time. We lived off the land. Cassava and rice grew in great abundance. We also ate eggplant, okra, tomatoes, chickpeas, plantain, and always fufu or kente, kinke or gari. Our main dishes were ground nut stew, jolly of rice, smoked fish, and onions, yasa, maif, and sometimes bush meat. We didn't know what particular animal this was. Elders teased us about it being wild boar or rat. We tried to avoid it, yet occasionally hunger would not be denied. 
For breakfast, we ate a type of rice porridge or kuku, but often we simply ate what was left from the previous evening. We seasoned with peppers of every kind, onions, cumin, garlic, coconut oil, black pepper, salt, cinnamon, cloves, and thyme. A master cook was praised and highly sought out among our people. She would have many suitors, and her bride would be absorbent. Still, young men fought for her hand, convinced that life with such a woman would be glorious, and it usually was, if for the belly alone. We were people of the same land, but we were not identical. Indeed, we were every shade conceivable. Some bore the color of the black leopard, some the rusty brown of the earth, some glimmered golden like grains of sand, some shared the dull gray of tree bark, some appeared reddish as if hung from rocks and stones of the hills. Our bodies reflected our environment. We believed in one God. We believed in lesser gods. We believed we looked like our gods. We believed they lived among us, whispering secrets into the hearts and minds. We believed that life was everlasting, that our souls were ancient, that there was no beginning, no ending, only change and growth, that all life was connected, animals, trees, water, earth. Everything had energy. We studied these elements in search of ourselves. We sat in the center of the village, beneath the starry sky, listening to elders boast of our heroes, warriors who fought 30 men by themselves and came home victorious, hunters who with knives and bows captured enough meat to feed a thousand, Fishermen who returned from the waters with enough fish to feed the entire village. Farmers whose harvest could have fed the world. The stories made us proud. The uninitiated longed to serve and celebrated in this way. As sleep came on, we returned home and rested until the rooster crowed, beckoning us into a new day. Our days were filled with work, carving drums from the baobab tree, smelting iron, copper, and gold for jewelry and ornamentation, weaving cloth, strand by precious strand until bolts of brilliant multicolored material lay ready for use. Cleaning homes and animal pens, herding goats, cows, lambs, washing clothes in the nearby streams, transporting water from rivers and lakes, weeding and tending gardens for sustenance and market, gathering wood and trees for building and cooking, rearing children and comforting the old. Work was a price we paid for our breath. The lazy were shunned and reprimanded. Often after work, we danced. Tired as we were, we could not resist the call of the drums. Our movements mimicked everyday life. Some gestures imitated the casting of nets in the waters. Some the pounding of yam. Some the planting of seeds. Some the meshing of bodies in the creation of life. And some the quiet stealth of hunters in the forest. Our bodies swayed like the branches of trees and pulsated back and forth like moving waters. We were in constant motion. Everywhere we lived, we danced. We told our stories through dance. We were never stagnant. Even in our sleep, our spirits met and mingled in movement. Those who couldn't dance, danced anyway. Our pride was in the majesty of our moving forms. And after dancing, we sat at the feet of our elders and absorbed wisdom like tilled earth absorbs rain. We were taught the values of honesty and integrity, hard work and discipline. We heard stories of lazy farmers who planted crops but failed to weed them and consequently harvested very little. We heard stories of children who lied so often that soon no one believed anything they said. We heard stories of pretty women who became self-absorbed and ended up alone. We heard stories of ants that in their diligence never let others deflect them from their mission. 
We were told to beware of people who boasted about themselves. We were told never ever to eat without first giving thanks. We were told to respect life and all life forms. Day and night, our heads were filled with insight enough to last a lifetime. Every child heard it. We had no choice. In this way, they gave us the tools of wisdom. Yet at times, we didn't use it. Our imperfections over seasons became weaknesses that contributed to our demise. We were arrogant often about our achievements. Women were sometimes silenced during public gatherings. Some of our men drank too much. We didn't always share our harvest the way we should have. Elders were increasingly neglected. We spoke more proverbs than we lived. We favored some citizens over others. We punished harshly those we did not prefer. We skipped rituals for no good reason. We made excuses at times for things we simply failed to do. We gossiped about our neighbors. We disobeyed our sacred laws. Some hunters slaughtered game in excess, knowing full well that such was against the pleasure of the gods. Still, they were often heralded as great men of valor. Their plenty became the measure of manhood, eroding our moral consciousness and making us gluttonous lovers of superfluous things. We knew better. We'd been taught the way of harmony and balance. Yet often we measured our worth not by what we had, but what our neighbors had. So the disease of greed spread among us. At first it was not discernible, but slowly it seeped into our hearts, assuring us that one day we'd trade cultural traditions and personal integrity for the luster of material gain. That day arrived. We traded blindly with those from every corner of the earth, the yellow man, the reddish man, the tan. Every man wanted what he did not have. In exchange for gold and ivory, they gave us sweet spices and guns. Some of the traders never went home. They were impressed by our ways, by how our children relished the company of elders, by how our healers cured diseases, often without medicine. They spoke the names of their countries, England, Portugal, Spain, France, the Netherlands. We wondered what those nations were like. If, like us, men hunted while women planted crops and cared for the children, or if in their villages some painted and decorated their bodies. We didn't know. No pale man bore the marks of his tribe. Some told of their people and cultural ways that were unlike our own. They spoke of beasts we did not know, and foods we never heard of. They showed us currency that resembled mere pieces of paper, and flat round stones they called coins. Their children played strange games with strange objects. But like us, they played all the same. We were definitely different people, but on the surface it seemed very much the same. We also wondered if perhaps back in their lands they performed rituals to honor their dead. When we mentioned ours, they seemed to not understand how the two, the living and the not living, coexisted. We laughed at first, sure that they were mocking us, since everyone knows that life transcends all realms. But once we discovered their seriousness, we froze in horror. Then came the disaster. With open arms, we embraced those who looked nothing like us, assuming all life honors life. We were wrong. In the end, we fed and strengthened our own captors. We cannot claim naivety. We cannot say we were people undeveloped. We cannot say there were no signs. We can say only that we did not heed them. Sound wisdom was as common to us as the evening breeze. We scoffed and shrugged at elders' forewarnings of a time of great tragedy and chaos. We did not believe them. We had learned to ignore our own gods, to take their goodness for granted, to believe that because of them we were immune to external attack, so we did not hear them. We only heard 
what we sought to hear. Now we hear it. We hear it all echoing in our regretful memories. If only we could have seen into the future, we might have avoided the onslaught. Most of us had no such powers. The few who did, the seers and the sages, we dismissed. They were always speaking of things to come, warning of impending disasters that rarely come to pass, at least in our lifetime. Now we know that the prophecies come to one generation and materialize in another. If only we had listened, if only we had had more disciplined ears, we did not. We blamed ourselves, we blamed our gods, we blamed each other, but there was no one to blame. Only shame to bear and pity, great pity, that a people so strong had missed so many clues. The forest whispered it, the birds chirped it, the trees waved it, the antelope danced it, and the tall grass swayed it, the lions roared it, the elders said it over and over, beware. Seek not the thing you do not need. Greed destroys wisdom. Let just enough be enough. We were too blessed. Our abundance suggested immortality. So we stopped searching for invisible things. Our mothers had worked so hard that we didn't have to. Our fathers had killed enough game that their sons hardly knew the hunt. We didn't know then what we know now. A life of leisure destroys a child. When there's nothing to work for, there's nothing to gain, nothing to die for. So we had to die that we might live again. And that's what we did. We died by the thousands and hundreds of thousands. We'd never seen such unjustifiable violence. Bodies lying across the earth as if pleading for forgiveness. Those who survived did not mourn. There was no time. The loss was too great. We still have not mourned. We still have no time. We remember, but we have not mourned. Death came quickly. It came unannounced. It came cloaked in our own multicolored garb. It came as white as the clouds, smiling as if it loved us. It came in the darkness of night, while we were laughing and talking with ancestors. It came in legions with guns and ammunition, too powerful for us to battle. It came like monsoon winds. It came like a flood. It came with earth-shaking force we could not control. It came under the authority of nations we did not know. It came with men whose absent wives benefited from their husbands' despicable behavior. It came with men whose children would one day inherit their father's legacy of violence and wealth ill-gained. It came to strip the land of its glory. It came to thousands and hundreds of thousands without sympathy for our loss. It came with impelled brutality. It came to scatter children's blood-soaked bodies about the earth, thus fertilizing dry, yearning soil. It came to teach us that we were brothers. This was the coming. I'll stop here reading part one and uh, finish up this uh, episode. It's important to know that African lives and culture basically in one day change for a lifetime of mental and physical toil that would last our lifetime. Despite the tragedy of enslavement, there stood a relentless display of strength, courage, and determination throughout all of the next phases of their lives. From the march from their village to the west coast of Africa, there was survival. From the staging at the factories and barracoons, on the west coast, awaiting to be purchased and loaded and branded into the ships. Many survived. From the cramped stacking of men, women, and children in the bottom of the ships, where sickness, death, and many other horrors, they still survived the journey to the South Americas, where again, their friendships, families, bonds of several different tribes and cultures were again scattered out and broken. From the last few who survived the last leg to North America, 
their final destination. They arrived, only to be scattered about again, and to face a lifetime of horrors and certainty, shattered families, friendships, that the effects are still with us today. Yet they survived through the relentless pursuit of freedom, hanging on to adapting and staying true to their African heritage. I want to thank you all for investing your time and going on this journey with me for this episode, Relentless. My desire is that this drives more interest in learning, sharing, and understanding of all of history. That is the only way we will be able to reconcile and heal. Reading the comment by Dr. Black helped me to attain a perspective of pride, strength, and hope, knowing that I personally benefited from the strength of my descendants to become part of an understanding, recollection, and solution to heal the dark stain of slavery. I invite you to invite others to join this mission and attain your own level of being relentless in your efforts to change the narrative to one of understanding and healing. I want to thank Dr. Black for his support in allowing me to share his vision with others. The song Relentless, a track from Zach Falls from his album Cologne, will send us out. Thanks again, Zach, for sharing his talents with us. Make it a great day and week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode of MT Talks next week. Bye now. <laughs>